Our scripture reading for today is John 15, 9 through 17. Thank you, Ty. Good morning, Kindred. My name is Charlie Baber. I am the youth pastor at University United Methodist Church. Um, and if you uh, didn't know, we are kind of sister churches, uh, University, Kindred, and Amity. Um, we all uh, we get along nicely. And um, thank you. It's such an honor to be here so that Pastor Daniel can be lazy um, and take a day off. Uh, you know, I think it's like his first Sunday in three years or something, but we'll allow it. Um, uh, if you would join me in prayer, let us pray. God, we give you so much thanks and praise that you uh, have gathered us together in the space um, where we can uh, openly and freely uh, praise your name and remind each other of your great love for us and for this world. Uh, we, we ask that you would multiply the blessing of the scripture reading into our hearts and lives and uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations on all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. Uh, I can't see you guys too well, so I need you to speak up when I ask you this question. Can anybody tell me the state motto of North Carolina? You guys all failed social studies. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yes, say it louder. To be and not to seem. This is, uh, uh, the state motto is in Latin, esse quam videri. And no, I did not take Latin, so please do not hold me to that pronunciation. Um, it means to be rather than to seem. So I also am not a North Carolina native, and I, uh, I actually learned this motto when I was visiting the North Carolina Museum of Art in Raleigh. Uh, this phrase takes up this huge lawn space, and it's best read from a platform above. I was instantly captivated by these words. Um, at the time, I was closeted and terrified that my friends, my family, my church would find out the truth that I was gay. And I, I only gave this small part of myself to the world. On the outside, I seemed happy and I seemed successful, but I wanted to be rather than to seem. It's an appealing concept at first, to be true, to be honest, to be authentic, to be integrated. Not just to pretend like you are those things, but to actually be them. The more I learned about the origins of this motto, I discovered it comes from Cicero, who was this Roman senator philosopher dude um, within the century before Jesus was born. And the phrase appears in his essay called On Friendship, where in context, Cicero says, few are those who wish to be endowed with virtue rather than to seem to be so. Few are those who wish to be endowed with virtue rather than to seem to be so. In other words, most of us would rather choose the appearance of virtue than actually being virtuous. Uh, for me, coming out was not an easy decision, and for years I kept choosing appearances rather than truth. I kept choosing to seem rather than to be. I thought that by sacrificing myself, I was being a better Christian. 
until I started to entertain the words of Christ elsewhere in the book of John that says, the truth will set you free. Turns out, one of the very first heresies denounced by the Christian church was the belief that Jesus only seemed to be human. You see, some people argued that Jesus could not have had a real human body during his time on earth if he was also God. Instead, what people saw and perceived as the human body of Jesus was just like a ghost body, a hologram, an illusion, a phantom. In an effort to protect the full divinity of Jesus as the Son of God, these folks claimed that Jesus could not have been profaned by becoming an actual human person, and most certainly could not have suffered and died. He only seemed to do these things. I mean, if you thought being ghosted by your date was bad, imagine finding out your date was a ghost the whole time. It really sucks for you. While it's weird to think that first century Christians could believe in like a hologram Jesus, it was very important to the faith that we dealt with this possibility and rejected it. Christians very quickly decided that it is far more important to be rather than to seem and affirmed that Jesus really was very much fully human and fully God. And that's a mystery that we grapple with. In fact, we believe that this act of what we call incarnation or God putting skin on is the defining moment in history that reveals to us that lo what love really looks like. Elsewhere in Scripture, it tells us God is love. We love because God first loved us. And God proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus would be a mockery of love if all it was was just fake, if he only seemed to do it. Love can't just seem to be love. God putting on flesh redefines our ideals of love, showing us that true love, uh, what true love looks like. It looks like being rather than seeming. I think the biggest turnoff that most people have about Christianity is not necessarily what we believe, but uh, our constant failure to love others the way that Jesus loves. How many folks have you met that would agree with Mahatma Gandhi, who's very much like Jesus, uh, who said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Unfortunately, it has become commonplace among us Christians to claim to love others, but only if it's on our own terms. At some point in history, we mistook controlling others for loving others. Control is this assumption that I have a superior way of life and that others would benefit from either becoming like me or coming under my power, usually both. It's decidedly not loving, and yet for centuries we have convinced ourselves that control is love. Years ago, I was sent to help this middle-aged woman in the emergency room in Raleigh at a hospital. Her father had experienced a heart attack at this large religious gathering at the PNC Arena and was brought to the hospital to receive care. 
This woman knew her father well, and she wanted to ensure the best care for him. But the reason I was sent as a chaplain uh, was not actually to directly help her or her father. It was to intervene with the eight men that she had never met before who all left the religious convention to make sure her dad was okay. Now, they didn't know her dad. They had just met him and happened to be around him when he had his heart attack. And they insisted that as his spiritual brothers, uh, they were responsible for decisions about his medical care, even though his biological daughter in her 40s was present. Um, This woman was clearly distraught at the constant gaslighting she was receiving from a room full of strangers calling themselves spiritual brothers. And my job was to distract them long enough so that they could convert me to their religion um, uh, so that she could just take care of her father, which, of course, she was perfectly capable of doing. Now, these men asserted themselves as brothers, as friends, as people who loved her and her father, and yet it was completely on their own terms and not in any way that the family actually needed. Their idea of love only increased panic and fear for a family that was already in a life and death situation. And they were absolutely convinced that what they were doing was the right thing in the name of Jesus. I wonder how you've seen a scenario like this played out in your life. Rejecting the humanity and diversity of a person because I think I know what's best for them. Refusing to listen to the needs of the other because I think I know what they need better than they do. Love on my terms. Love with the intent to control, to make you more like me. To seem loving rather than to be loving. Today's scripture lesson is found in the farewell discourse. It's this multi-chapter speech of Jesus' final words to his disciples on the night of his betrayal. John chapter 15, verses 12 and 13, gives us the clearest vision of what it means to love like Jesus loves. The scripture says this, This is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. You know, that's what I thought I was doing all those years that I stayed hidden in my closet. Wasn't I giving up my life for my friends by hiding the parts of me that I was afraid that they would hate? There are certainly enough Christians out there who have told me as much. But Jesus is telling us to love each other just as Jesus loves us. If Jesus is the definition of God's love, we look to his life to see how we love others. In his life, just moments before he said these words, the Son of God, all-powerful, could have just said a word to make us control us into doing what he wanted us to do. The Son of God took a towel and washed the feet of all of his followers. This room full of men and women all over the political, religious, and economic spectrum. I mean, 
Just imagine washing the feet of Proud Boys and Antifa back to back. Uh, that may seem extreme, but he had religious zealots and tax collectors, people on opposite ends that would have wanted to kill each other, washing their feet in the same room. Washing the feet of Peter, who would deny him within 24 hours, of Judas, who would betray him within six hours, of the women who would stay by his side through the end. Through all the slogans and causes, Jesus loved each one, not because of their loyalty, not because they were on the right side of history, whatever that means, not because they were cool, likable influencers, but because God made them. And God saw something worth dying for in every one of them, in every one of us. After washing their feet, Jesus called his followers his friends. The word used here in the Greek is philos, where we get like Philadelphia. It literally means the people I love, people I consider my siblings. I always thought it was a little weird that after saying this uh, in verse 14, Jesus then follows, and you are my friends if you do what I command. Is this like some sort of friendship with strings attached? Is this just another way to control us. You can only be Jesus' friend if you follow these rules. It, I think it makes a little bit more sense to me um, when I understand that word friends as people who love, people Jesus loves, and people who love Jesus. This is more of a to be rather than to seem kind of saying. Another way of hearing it may be this. You demonstrate that you love God, not by saying it in a creed or a praise song, but when you love other people the way that Jesus loves you. And that, that kind of love is it's really hard. That kind of love will most certainly involve suffering, because that kind of love involves kinship, friendship, meaningful relationships with people who are not like you and who may never be like you. That kind of love looks through all the politics to meet the human on the other side. Um, I'll be honest with you guys, I had a really hard time writing this sermon this week. I have been really angry, just so angry. And every time I read about, I just would just read the scripture over and over again and be like, where's this people who are loving Jesus happening in the world? As I see Christians celebrate discrimination against minorities, I, it's hard for me to see the love of Christ. I don't want to show the love of Christ to people who are reveling in injustice. I would much rather say, well, if those Christians over there don't love the way I think they should, then they must not be real Christians. I want to write them off the way that they have written me off when they say to me, there's no such thing as a gay Christian. I want nothing to do with the Christians who are not racist, but constantly silencing black voices. You know, loving your enemy is so much harder when that enemy is supposed to be your sibling in Christ. But we are witnesses of the love of Christ, aren't we? The foot washing in the flesh death and resurrection love of Christ. We are not ghosts 
who only pretend. We are not gods who love only to control others. There will always be reasons to be angry, frustrated, and hurt. So let us cling. Let us cling quite fiercely to this tiny little passage in the book of John, like a life raft in a sea of troubles. Christ has called you friends, the people he loves, his brothers and sisters, his siblings. You are the people God loves. So love yourself the way God loves you. And if you're going to try to love others the way that God loves them, you're going to want to abide in God's love. Rest in God's love. Recover in God's love. Renew in this kind of love. And as Jesus fills your cup, let the overflow be what spills out into the way that you love others. Not to control them, not to make them just like you, but because God sees them as someone worth living for. And God saw them as someone worth dying for. May we all live to be rather than to seem. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Flood our souls with the spirit, your spirit and life. Penetrate and possess our whole being so utterly that our lives may only be a radiance of yours. Shine through us and be so in us that every soul we come in contact with may feel your presence in our soul. Let them look up and see no longer us, but only Christ. Stay with us, and then we shall begin to shine as you shine. So to shine as to be light to others. The light, O oh Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be ours. It will be you shining on others through us. Let us thus praise you in the way that you love best by shining on those around us. Let us preach you without preaching, not by words, but by our love, by the catching force, the sympathetic influence of what we do, the evident fullness of the love our hearts bear to you. Amen.